Hidden Greatness is an online podcast that discusses the hidden power of a subconscious mind and looks at how talented people use it to manifest their conscious reality. The show will feature individuals who have become champions in their respective careers, looking at dark to light times in their lives and how they manage to find the strength to navigate their way to greatness. This week's guest is a three times British Olympian who competed in the sprint hurdles. He became European and Commonwealth champion and won a bronze medal at the World Championships in Daegu. He currently holds the 200 meter hurdles world record. It's my former teammate and training partner, Andy Turner. Andy Turner, welcome to Hidden Greatness Podcast. How are you? Uh, Annika, I'm good, thank you. It's good to see you. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while. It has been a while. How's things? How's life? Yeah, well, it's a lot different from, from what it used to be. Just had uh, my fourth daughter. Damn. Yeah, exactly. Last, That's a whole relay month. team. It is a whole relay team. Yeah, think of it like that. I do yeah. all the time. <laughs> I think mean, it should be like that. <laughs> but um, yeah, um, yeah, I've, 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 um, I've got my fourth daughter now, so she was born last month. So uh, I'm, I'm a little bit tired. But um, you, you look know, fantastic. Do you know what? I love you. You're <laughs> you're you a good haven't. Liar. <laughs> no, no, you haven't changed a bit. You oh, know what I mean? I don't know about that. I you haven't it. changed. You haven't changed. So to kick off, we're gonna talk about you you and you so who is Andy Turner so where did it all start I know you were born and raised in Nottingham um big family little family um smallish family um we weren't the closest of families um but yeah born and raised in Nottingham place called Hucknall um I was that kid that I suppose like every athlete was just rebellious didn't want to do anything unless you were forced to do it and then if you're forced to do it you rebelled even more I was that kid even though I quite liked athletics and my dad had seen some, you know, something in me that he thought I need to kind of push this kid to keep doing it, because he made me do it. I didn't want to do it, and I rebelled <laughs> against it. And even though I actually quite liked it, you know that saying, you cut your nose off to spite your face. That that was me. Um, so I was a bit of an idiot as a kid. But, no, um, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just kind of followed me through a little bit. But no, that, you know, that's that's it was. I um, I, I just wanted to play football. I. I when I was uh, 11 years old, I got signed for Notts County and I even played at Wembley twice when I was 11. Okay. All so right. that was my that was my thing. I wanted to play football. Um, but I kind of knew in the back of my mind that athletics, I was probably better at athletics than I was at football. Um, and then my dad, yeah, he used to drive me to Harvey Haddon track in Nottingham and he'd, he'd literally drop me and my brother off at the track and leave us there. So we had to train. And if you haven't been to Harvey Haddon, it's in a really rough neighborhood so if you kind of walk around you're going to get punched up so you either go inside the track and train or hang around outside and get beat up so we'd always go inside and train um so it was kind of I was kind of forced into athletics I suppose and uh, my brother quite quickly decided that he he liked the hurdles and then obviously sibling rivalry I've just got to try and beat my brother at everything he's older he's two two years older than me yeah so he ended up going to English schools when he was um under 15 and he came fourth so he, he was better than me at that age um, and then quite, yeah, the next couple of years he retired and then started bodybuilding and he's, he's absolutely massive, <laughs> like, like properly. So yeah, that's how I kind of got into it really. Oh, nice. And did you um, compete in other sports as well? Because I remember back in the day when obviously we used to train together, you used to do the decathlon as well. Yeah, well, no, I did, I did pentathlon when I was, in fact, actually, you know, oh, I, I only remembered this like a couple of weeks ago. I actually did English school's pentathlon under 15. I came fourth. 
Um, in English schools? In English schools, oh, yeah, nice. yeah. I, I completely forgot about that. It's just <laughs> madness. I just remembered randomly the other day. Um, but yeah, I, I used to do all sports. Played football. Um, I, I was forced to play rugby and I was... You yeah, say forced. <laughs> yeah, honestly, my school played rugby but because I was quick, they wanted me in a team. Don't okay. me on the wing. But again, because they made me do it, I, I, I was an idiot and I was like, no, I'm not doing it. And then I used to get in trouble at school but then I'd go and play on the weekend and I'd score five tries and take the conversions. So I actually quite liked it and um played cricket um county trials for cricket and i didn't even like cricket uh, <laughs> but yeah to be honest anything that got me out of the classroom because academically I, I was i was never the best um so anything that got me out of the classroom and got me a bit of respect with the teachers sport wise i'd always do it um, and athletics was always there yeah you know the one day i always remember the one day of the year uh the teachers loved me at school was sports day and they, they you know i I'd win the race or I'd, be, I'd get the school record or something. And the teachers that hated me talked to me and they were like, yeah, really well done. And it was um, it was just that one day of the year where I actually got respect from the teachers. So you I were the big it. man on campus. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then the next day, they were back at the school. I was that kid that they didn't want to talk to again. I was, you know, <laughs> you weren't getting in trouble and bringing, bringing the school rep, reputation down. The next day, that was me again. <laughs> so it was predominantly hurdles, which is the event that you stuck to. So... How did you make that transition from being an okay junior, maybe club level, to then international status? Um, I mean, as, as well as a kid, I did every, I did every, um, every event. I even did long jump. Uh, in fact, actually, I jumped. I beat Chris Tomlinson one day. I jumped. Do you want to say that louder on the mic? So, <laughs> <coughs> <coughs> just in case he's listening. Okay, <laughs> I just I remind him all the time. But I remember one day he was in Stoke. And it was the McDonald's League final. It was whatever. I don't even know what it's called anymore, but it's like the, the, the Young Athletes, young athletes League, yeah. League, yeah. And the, the record was 690 something. And I'd rocked up. I'd never done long jump. Our long jumper had got injured. So they asked us, does anyone want to do it? I was like, all right, I'll jump in and have a go. And uh, I ended up jumping 723. And I got this. I got okay. the record um, and beat Tomlinson. And the little kid didn't even shake my hand on the rostrum. What can you believe really? that? Really? Yeah, yeah. Pop bad loser. <sighs> <laughs> so, yeah, I remind him about that time. I'm sure you do. Yeah, but he's um, yeah. So it was it was it was mainly hurdles. Obviously, as you get as you get older, um, I kind of the hurdles are only small. Obviously, the, uh, as you're younger, and as you get older, they go through the, yeah, the age groups, under 17s and under 20s and so on. Um, under 17s, I won the English schools, but then at that age, there was no kind of um, there was no intermediate size hurdles it went straight from kind of three foot to three foot six and the the, the world juniors were at three foot six so i couldn't do these hurdles I, I was i used to look at them and i was just terrified of them and, and at no point did i ever believe i'd actually be able to do these mm-hmm. and my most my personal best over the 110s was like 16 17 seconds and and people that were you know that i used to batter were then absolutely battering me um so it was really difficult it was a time i thought you know what maybe i should pack this in mm-hmm. Um, but I just keep remember. I remember one. There's one training session I did in Portugal where things just clicked for me, and then from then on, that's kind of how everything started to progress forward. I suppose you know, I dropped from 17 seconds to 14 seconds, and that was a huge jump. And then obviously, you just is that in away. the space of one year, two years? No, so years. I mean, I was. I, I think I was. Uh, I'd never made the World Juniors, the European Juniors, anything like okay. that because the the hurdles were three foot six. Mm-hmm. So I'd gone from running for, for, for England at under 17 to then not running for Great Britain again until I was 23, which was the Olympics in Athens. That was my first 
championship, so there was no World Juniors or anything. Um, so it was quite a, quite a, quite a tough kind of progression, I suppose. Yeah. But um, you know, there, there was times I just I didn't want to, I didn't want to carry on doing it. What's the point? I'm not going to get anywhere. <laughs> but you know, you just kind of keep chipping away, don't you? And eventually, it came, it came together. Yeah, you do. And it's interesting that you say that because all the athletes that we've spoken to over the years and, you know, on this podcast, most of them have had a, you know, pretty decent junior career where they've, you know, competed at European Mm. juniors, world juniors, or had some success at elite level as a junior, whereas because you couldn't jump over that damn, damn, damn hurdle. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, I know. I've seen them. <laughs> your yeah. first call-up wasn't until the Olympics. So what was that like? Yeah. You know, imagine your first senior championship being the Olympic yeah. Games. Like, you know, that must have been crazy. You know what the maddest thing is? is the God's honest truth. You remember the, um, the film Cool Runnings? Yeah, of course. The Sanka and them, man. Yeah, yeah. Sanka's in, in the lift going up and he claps his hands and he goes... Ah. I'm feeling very Olympic today. That's, <laughs> that sounds more Indian than Jamaican. Oh, <laughs> but I swear on my life, on the start line in, in Athens, I looked at the, I'm just about to run, I look at the flame and that popped in my mind, what, what Sanka said. What? Uh, yeah, 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 honestly. What, what, I'm feeling very Olympic today. Oh, I, I was feeling very Olympic. And it came in my mind, I'm like, God, concentrate with you. But, um, it was tough because that year I'd, I'd qualified for the for the games um, quite early in the season. It was completely out of the blue. I didn't expect to qualify for the games. One little bit, and then the following week I got a, like an Achilles injury, and I didn't race again or, or train fully again until probably the day before the actual race in the Olympics. Mm-hmm. So for two months I didn't do any proper training, and I was having physio and and and, and injections and all this. And then the day before I was due to fly out to the holding camp. I tore my quad. So again, I didn't know if I was even going to make it onto the start line. And by this point, you get to the Olympics and all I wanted to do was be on that start line and finish mm-hmm. it. I knew I wasn't going to do very well. I knew that. But um, I just wanted to be able to kind of cross the finishing line and, and call myself an Olympian. <laughs> <laughs> well, you would have done that anyway because like, you got the kits, you know, you know, made the for team. Me, for me, it was, I needed to run. I needed to be on the start line. I needed to cross the line. I wanted to, um, I just wanted to experience everything. No. And what was that like, but, actually being there, competing, you know, was, running against, you know, all your opposition? Who, yeah. who was around that time? It's a long time ago. God, there was a, God, I can't remember his name now. Cuban fella, Ania Garcia. Okay. So he was, I think he ended up, I think, no, he didn't win it. Actually, no, Lu Zhang, that's when Lu Zhang kind of okay, came out yeah. of woodwork. And of broke, course, but record, no, yeah. wrong one. <laughs> no, yeah, it happens, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We'll get to that, don't worry. Yeah, no, he, um, <laughs> so yeah, Lu Zhang won it and no one, no one had ever heard of him. Um, but it was it was just mad to be honest because honestly I never thought in a million years that I was ever going to be an Olympian. It never mm-hmm. even crossed my mind to make the games. I was just a kid from running from Nottingham trying to run as good as I could. And that year, obviously, he qualified. I'm like, oh shit, I'm actually going to be an Olympian. Here. Yeah. Um. But yeah, being there was just it was just madness, you know. It was just I felt like a tiny fish in a massive pond, and I felt really out of place. Um. You know, you're walking around the camp, and then you've got um. About eight hundred and fifteen. Girl. Kelly, Kelly Holmes, Kelly Holmes. You know, Kelly Holmes walking around, and you've got all these other kind of big name athletes and stuff. And um, yeah, I just felt like a bit of an imposter, to be honest. But uh, it was amazing just to be there. Well, because you were there and having that experience, not necessarily having the experience prior to that, but just being that, mm. being in the Olympic Games, and you know, at such a young age, and you know, doesn't matter how you performed, you then continued. You know, you didn't stop, mm. and then your first breakthrough was in two thousand and six. 
in yeah. Melbourne where you were driving me mad for a couple of weeks. <laughs> I even lived together, didn't we? <laughs> oh, uh, gosh. But you did have an amazing performance, picking up a bronze medal in the um, Commonwealth Games. And what yeah. was that like, actually having your moment on the podium? Was it, uh, was it believable? Did you ever think you could get to that? I, I believed going to the Games that I could actually, I could do well. There was a Jamaican called Maurice Wigman, and he ran, he'd gone to the World Indoors, it was only a couple of weeks before, and he'd done really well. But I'd run 7.55, so I knew I was in good shape. And so we went to the Commonwealth in Melbourne, and I expected more of myself. So I actually I was disappointed with my performance. I was in better shape. But, uh, you know, you, you, when it comes to the finish line and you cross the line, you, you kind of forget about the performance. Mm-hmm. And you're just happy that you stand, you know, you, you got that medal. And the Melbourne cricket ground was just massive. You know, it's like, I think it's like 110,000 yeah, stadium. And I've never seen a bigger stadium. No, neither have I. Just, yeah, standing on it for the first time. Like, it was... Oh god, the feeling was just like overwhelming. Like the just think flipping out. Like I'm just some little kid from Nottingham who's just you know got a medal. It's just it blew it blew my mind. It still does now. It's actually my favourite medal even now. Why is that? Well, it, it, the medal itself is amazing. Yeah, it is. Um, I have one myself. So. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know, <laughs> that. you know, the other um, just having it. But you know, it's it's just that first time, that first moment. You stand on the rostrum, you think, God, I'm actually a real athlete here, and I'm not just some someone trying to be I suppose and it's that first moment you kind of think everything's worth it all that years of pain and heartache mm-hmm. and, and and work and you know upsetting people and being selfish in your life it's finally worth it um so yeah it's it's, it's, a, it's a great feeling I know you probably think at this point you're like oh I've got like imposter syndrome <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> which is something that all athletes I think suffer from especially when you do start winning medals and performing at elite level and you think oh I shouldn't be here but you didn't care at that point because then six months later you then went on to win another medal at the European Outdoors in Gothenburg yeah yeah I mean that was another crazy one um, again frustratingly gone to the trials and I'd, I'd won the trials in 13-2 and I knew I was in good shape and again went to the championships and I didn't run as well as I, I should do which kind of concerned me at that point because you expect to go to the trial, to go to the champs and run faster, but um, yeah, again, just across the finishing line, and you know, just just knowing that you've won a medal again, it's just it's just amazing. It's just it's such a good feeling. This athletics is not like ninety nine percent lows, and then all of a sudden you get one high, and it just makes those years of heartache and pain just go away. And it's just it it just it just makes you realise that it is worth it in the end. Yeah. Yeah, but there's a lot of that. I do worry for the people that don't have that moment. Is it, is it a waste? It's not a waste, but you know, we 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 give we sacrifice our lives for that moment. And if you don't, if you don't get that, you never understand what it could have been. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I understand. I get yeah, it. I get so it. I do worry for for certain people. Do you still worry about the next generation coming through or the current ones? Yeah, yeah, I do yeah. Um, I mean, uh, financially, this thing, as soon as you win a medal, it's, it opens doors, it helps you out. But what about if you're one of those people that doesn't win a medal and you've literally dedicated your life to it and you've got nothing to fall back on? As soon as you cross the line, as soon as you, 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 you decide to retire and that's it, the phone starts ringing. No one cares about who you are, what you did. You know, you're just another person. So I do work for, for the future. Yeah. Um, you do question, was it always worth it sometimes? But... You know, I was in a fortunate position to win those medals. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, make a few quid and, and and buy the essentials, the house and the, and whatever. 
Um, but some people don't have that luxury, I suppose. As prep for every outdoor season, you did do a lot of indoors most most years. But, you know, you were one of those athletes who wasn't as successful in indoors, you know, during world indoors, European indoors. You know, there's a lot of fourth places, five, you know, fifth places, being a finalist, but not quite being there. Was that tough for you to take on? Um, I never, I, I never really liked indoors. I, I knew I wasn't particularly good at it. I mean, 7.55 is not a bad time, but it's not, it's not, you know, it's not going to be a, a world beating time. But, you know, you know, when you go to the Europeans, that's, that's always going to put you in a mix for a medal. But I remember two consecutive European indoors coming fourth by, I think it was a, a thousandth or two thousandths of a second both times. So that's quite difficult to take. To see, maybe, yeah. But I think the, the most frustrating one for me was the, the, the uh, Birmingham games. I can't remember what year it was now. But um, I ran a good time in the heat. Set and semi-final was okay. But the, between the semi-final and the final, I got both my hamstrings cramped up. And the doctor said, I'll take a paracetamol. That should, you know, help with the cramps. But you know, I'm walking around, going over a hurdle, and I'm, both my hamstrings are like absolutely killing me. So, you, you know, that's always going to be at the back of your mind when you go to onto the start line. Am I going to, is it going to cram when I push out the blocks and stuff? So, you know, there's always a reason why you don't run well. Um, but yeah, you know, two, two consecutive fourth places. That must have been hard. I know I'd be, I'd be raging. I yeah, was, honestly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's really, it's really, fr- no, really frustrating. But, you know, I, I say, I, I knew I wasn't, I knew I wasn't the best at the indoors. Um, my start was always kind of hit and miss. Um, I'd say it was practice for the outdoors, but you know it wasn't. I just I just like racing, and again it was just, just a way of kind of topping up your income as well. So that's what that's pretty much why I did it. I mean that helps. Yeah, got paid in bills. We got to buy them nappies, didn't I? These kids. <laughs> Back then there was a lot more money in the sport. I would say compared to maybe now. So. You know, indoors, especially if you're not like an indoor runner, you could use that opportunity to maybe, yeah, you know, do a couple of meets on the circuit. Well, that's it. You, know, you go to these, you, if you go to these um, kind of indoor meets, and if you've got a medal from the previous year, you know, you can always command a bit of an appearance fee, whether it's you know from five hundred quid up to a few grand. You know, you know, just you're going to take it. It's, it's it's easy money. So, and obviously you got your your um, your your prize money on top of that. Uh, so yeah. Um, I, mean, I was always going to get out every year just to keep buying new bush chairs and cuts and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do, do, right? I know. Well, not for me, not quite yet, but I'm, I'll be I'll be calling you up for advice once I get to that moment. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, fast forward to 2009 season. You started off really, really well. Um, didn't have a great World Championships that year, um, carrying an injury. Um, yeah. That must have been hard. Just trying to think of the year. So it was the year, I think 2008, I'd gone to the Olympics, underperformed. 2009, I got cut from funding. And what what was that? Because that that must have been a turning point. Well, yeah, I mean, they they said at that point, I was 28 going on 29. They said, basically told me, you're too old and too slow to ever make a final, let alone win a medal. Um. So obviously that was really frustrating. Um, I had a kind of a private sponsor who put a bit of money, which helped me train throughout the year. Without him, I couldn't have done it. Um, but he wants to name re- remain anonymous, so I won't mention him. But without his help, I wouldn't have you know been able to compete that year. Um, and I raced everywhere. I, I raced as many times as possible. Again, that was how I made my my, my income. Um, 
and I was running really well. I was running cons- consistently quick, ti- quick enough times that would have made you know any final. Um, and then what the week before, yeah, a week to the day before at the holding camp, I saw my hamstring. So that was annoying. <laughs> Pretty bad timing. Levels of frustration. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. And um, you know, it was the year kind of. It was the year. It was the year Will Sharman made his, made his breakthrough, and he made the final and came. I think he came fourth, fourth in the final. Yeah. yeah. So it was. Um, it was. It was a really frustrating year because I knew that. I could have been there, should have been there, but um, you know, I had to had to do these extra races, to try and pay these bills, and you know, make ends meet. So it was um, it was trying to find the right balance. But again, on top of that, you've got your national governing body that have had your back all of it, and all of a sudden they've just said, "Nah, you, you you've got nothing anymore. You know, you're not gonna you're not gonna be any good. You're not gonna make any finals." Mm-hmm. So it was um, it, it was uh. It, it wasn't annoying the fact that they didn't believe me. I didn't care they didn't believe me. It annoyed me because I just needed, I knew I needed a, an injury-free... Season. Yeah, period. Yeah. And, you know, things could happen. And uh, that's that's just kind of what, what frustrated me that year. But, uh, yeah, it was, just, it was a tough season, that one. Do you believe because of everything that you've gone through at that point, having, you know, starting off really well in 2009 and then getting hit right before the championships and then watching, you know, your fellow teammates make the final thinking... That should have been my moment. You say you're probably seeing red <laughs> at this point. No, let's be let's be real. Do you know what I mean? Like you can be happy for them in the moment, but thinking that that should have been me ultimately. But do you believe yeah. that was the turning point going into the following season? I think. Yeah, I'm not going to take it away from where what he did was really well. What well, he's really good. Yeah, um, he steps up when he needed to, and he does it every time he makes a final. He always seems to step up, which is you know it's fair play to him. But um, it was for me, you know. I, I just believe that that this was my year. All the kind of negativity from the national governor body, I'd put behind me. I was pushing and I was running well. And you just think, you know what? I'm I'm so ready for this. And I I felt so motivated and so good going into these champs. And then I say all of a sudden my hamstring just popped in in training. It was it was the last hurdle session as well, so it just couldn't have been worse timing. But um, yeah, it does kind of uh, like fuel, I suppose. The fire. Fuel the fire going into mm-hmm. the next season. Yeah. And it proved to be one of your best seasons <laughs> couldn't have been more better <laughs> there's a big two fingers up to them like. yeah yeah you then went on to win the commonwealth games and the european championship so you're commonwealth champion and european champion another yeah. big moment what was that like i mean that's even even saying it now like it it, it still kind of blows my mind because that's quite good that is i think and you kind of what do you mean time, quite good what? Why? Why do you downplay it? I'm, I'm curious. Because, to, I, I know I've been suffering from the same as you. Yeah. We, we, as athletes, we tend to downplay our own achievements. But listening to you, obviously saying it, why do you particular think, not see it as like a big thing? That, you, you know, right? The circles that we move in, that's normal. So, racing the world record holder or somebody who's just done this or done that or the Olympic champion, racing them on a week in week out basis, that's normal life. So. It's not until you kind of retire and you look back and you think, shit, that's that's not normal. What we used to do isn't normal. You know, sitting down and having having lunch with Usain Bolt and and then I don't know, going racing, you know, or going training with Justin Gatlin, something like that, all these people who are kind of big names. It's not normal. And it's not until you retire and think, Wow, that's actually pretty cool that is. And that's kind of where I'm at now. Like I don't at the time it was it was cool winning the medals, but it's not like it's not until kind of look at the medals now and you think, Shh, yeah, well, that's, that's, that is kind of cool. Yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty cool, that is. 
Yeah. yeah. My kids don't even think so. That's, that's the annoying thing. They're like, they're really not asked about it. Then my kids. You show them the medal and they're just, they're just like, yeah, whatever, dad. Just, don't, don't care. Don't care. <laughs> but what was that like, though, to actually come off, you know, uh, OK 2009 season, then get here, mm. then become a champion in, in those two championships? Yeah. Was that and, a great feeling, looking yeah. back? I'd had, um, I'd had an injury-free winter. I'd had an injury-free summer. Everything was everything had gone right. Um, so we went into the into the European champs and, you know, I knew that I was not a, not the favourite. I was somebody that could do well, but this, there was a handful of people that could win a medal. It was no one was head and shoulders above each other. Do you remember who you were up against? The yeah, Europeans? there was a guy, Peter Svoboda. Svoboda. Okay. From the Czech Republic, <laughs> yeah. And then there was a, a couple of French guys, Bascu, Darian, Garfield, Darian, you know, they've both gone on to win medals in World and Olympics. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't even remember who's in the race now as well. But, uh, yeah, there's some, some good guys. But it was crazy because I remember the, the heat went well. The semi-final, I made a mistake and I just qualified for the final. And then in the final, my kind of main rival, he made the same mistake I made in the semi-final. And it cost him because he was slightly ahead of me. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think in hurdles, you've, it's, it's, that's why the event is so good because you can have... You can have nine good hurdles and then one bad hurdle and that costs you the race. But then you can also have 10 good hurdles and it just goes perfectly. And, uh, you know, and anyone on the on that given day who makes the least mistakes can win. And that's what happened to me in that final. I just made the least mistakes out of other people. So it was unreal. I mean, I remember crossing the line and, and my parents were in the were in the stadium and stuff. And I remember seeing my mom and dad there. And, and that's, that's just, it was just madness. They were like, fuck, you've just won. Like, it blew their mind, blew my mind. And the, the lap of honour, I think that's the first time I'd ever actually felt emotion in athletics. Like, I actually welled up for a minute and that's, it's never happened to me before. It not, didn't, I don't think it's happened to me again since. But um, it, it was just, yeah, it was just such a special moment, that lap of honour. And just seeing my parents in the in the crowd after after everything that they've kind of helped me with. Because, you know, they've been my biggest fans. They've, they've done everything for me they could possibly do. I couldn't have, couldn't have had better parents. Um, so it's kind of, you know, pay them back uh-huh. uh, with pride uh, <laughs> it was just the best feeling um, and then we yeah, got into the Commonwealth so it was, that was mine to lose um, was it always the plan to go to Delhi because I know you know a lot of athletes not a lot but a few athletes especially big names on the British team at the time didn't go because you know Delhi Valley and all that <laughs> yeah. I mean, there, was lot, there was lots of negativity around yeah. there. I mean, things with Delhi it appeared like, to be a good chance to me yeah yeah it was good I mean you saw it it was the track you know, the track needed dusting off. They needed a bit of grout <laughs> in between tiles, a bit of liquor paint here and there. But generally, it was it was a really good chance. And I, I remember that I knew it was mine to lose. Going into the into the heat, I, I ran really comfortably. And then I remember the next morning got, seeing um, some of my competitors, and they got telly belly overnight. <laughs> Like, you must have been made Okay, so basically at this point, if I lose this now. This, yeah, this is this is mine to lose, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And obviously that you, you put you put a little bit more pressure on yourself, but at the same time, I'm thinking, yeah, oh, no, I I was in better shape than the other people anyway. I uh-huh. knew that, um, but it was just it just seems to be. I think the athletics you've got to have a little bit of luck every every now and again, and you know that was my that was my kind of year to have the luck, and you know the governing body after that year they were the first people that loved me and trying to trying to give me hugs after the race and stuff. And you just think, you're the same people that argued, you know, in a, in a tribunal, Hulk, yeah, yeah. That, that I'm too old and too slow to make a final. And I've just 
gone and won these two medals. So, you know, it, it was nice just to show people that it's not not about the statistics or what they feel is right and wrong. It's what's in the athlete. If they believe they can do it, then, you know, they have to keep going and, and kind of believe in themselves. And hopefully one day it comes together. And it, and it did for me. Uh, yeah. It sure did. And then you proved even greater resilience in 2011. <laughs> um, let's talk about the 200 metre hurdles world record in Manchester. <laughs> it's weird because actually... It's, all... it's different, right? Yeah. What's the weirdest thing though is now I live in Manchester and I went out the way and I got absolutely smashed and I was walking down that same street thinking I put the world record on this street a few years ago and I'm absolutely <laughs> wasted right now. <laughs> it's really weird. But you know what? It's my favourite event in the year. The street races, they are my favourite events. Why are they your favourite? I just love the fact it's... Athletics is boring. Yeah. Know, I don't mm-hmm. find it that interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you've got to watch it on fast forward and you watch a bit of the racing and, and fast forward everything else. But the street races, it's just there in your face. It's something you don't see day in, day out. And, and people, it's a different crowd as well. People yeah. don't generally come to athletics. And, you know, it's noisier and it's more energy in the crowd. And I just loved it. And... uh that particular race, I, I love 200 metres um, and I love smaller <laughs> hurdles. So it just seems to be perfect for me. And, you know, I can't, yeah, every every year they always brought the best four hurdlers in. So we had Angelo Taylor, we had um, Felix. Felix Sanchez mm-hmm. and um, LJ Van Zyl. And then, you know, some some of the best, the, the Ryan Brathwaite, so the, okay. the 110 hurdles in... 2009 world champ okay. so they brought in good athletes to race me and well i don't know i just seemed to win it like <laughs> just makes it an olympic event because like, it'd be you know be uh be living a li- different life now i think yeah mm. oh, nice. but no it's good love the event love the events and uh you just wish that was an olympic event really do you know you were saying that you love the sport but you don't really like athletics that much yeah. so what was it specifically about the street race because I think my first one was in, I'm really showing my age, but I don't care because <clears throat> you're just as old as I am. <laughs> I'm older. Yeah, you are. Thank you. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> um, my first one was 2008, post-Beijing. Um, right. Do you remember the one we had in September? Oh, sorry, October. And we had it in Newcastle. Were you there? Well, I think I was, yeah. No, oh, I don't know. Okay, but then 2009, it was in Manchester and that was a big, that was a big one with Bolt and the world record. And, you know, over the 150, yes, okay. So I didn't do that one until okay. I, was, I was a bit too young for that, maybe. So, <laughs> I'm going to ignore that, but whatever. Um, but I, like yourself, always loved the street race because it's just a different vibe. It's a different yeah, yeah. atmosphere. Like, you haven't got people, you know, queuing, you know, to get in a stadium. You've got people who are literally just, like, finishing work and they're just yeah. like, what's going on here? Yeah, or they're yeah. watching from the window. Mm-hmm. They're watching you from the start line in the offices yeah, yeah. up above. And, you know, it brings a different crowd as well. So what was it for you particularly that made you love the street race? I just loved the, um, I loved how close it was to people. I love the fact that, you know, it was serious, but it wasn't that serious because before the race, you might you might be talking to someone in, in the crowd with some <laughs> random mates and stuff. And, you know, oh, hang on, mate, I better go and just do this race. I'll come back to you in five <laughs> minutes. Do you know what I mean? But it yeah. was just, it was serious, but yet it was, it, it wasn't in the Olympics. So it was kind of, it wasn't that, serious at mm-hmm. the same time um just have, yeah having everybody so close and the noise and different events you know pitching people obviously there was the 110 hurdles and stuff but i didn't really like that on those on that um on that track because the quite surface bouncing. okay yeah. okay but um for me it was just that that event i think it was it was 
it was an event that you don't ever do. I've never done before. I've never, I've never done it again. But um, it just worked for me that that particular event. I loved it, and it's nice to jump over small hurdles because they're only <laughs> women's four hundred meter hurdles height. Oh, so you, so you literally were like, "Yeah, I'm on this." <laughs> you, step, you literally step over them. That's it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, mm-hmm. someone who, who myself who's you know just scratching six foot, mm-hmm. um, it was easy. Whereas one tens are a lot more difficult. They get in the way sometimes, and they hurt. <laughs> <laughs> That particular season um, was, you know, a great, great season for you. Um, it's, I think it's definitely fair to say, again, one of your best performing what? at the World Champs. Oh, 11. In 2011, 2011 yeah. Yeah. Um, I'd run Picking pretty, up a bronze medal. Yeah, I'd run pretty well. I'd run pretty well that year, or, uh, all the way through the year. Um, and then went to, yeah, went to the World Champs. It was weird, though, because I'd, I'd crossed the line again in, in fourth place. Didn't have a clue what had gone on in the middle of the race with... Lu Zhang and Dayron Robles kind of getting each other's way. So I crossed the line. I was like, I you know what, fourth in the world. I'll take that. I'll take that. That's not bad. That's not. I'm, I'm quite happy because you've got Aries Merritt behind me, the world record holder. You've got David Oliver behind me. Um, and then a couple, a couple of other guys behind me. It's like, you know, I beat some good people here. So I, I'll take that fourth place. And then I just remember walking, walking, I got my kit and then did the other interviews. And again, I didn't have any idea. And I walked over back to the the warm-up area, and I saw Jerry, the old um, physio guy. Remember oh, Jerry Ramajee there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course, G. Loved G. Jerry. He, G. He, was, he was a lad. He was, I love so G. He, he, kept me in, he kept me in one piece for, for the year, so massive thanks to him. And then, uh, yeah, I'm just walking back from seeing him, and then I go t- towards the bus, and I, and he's just like, Andy, Andy, and I'm like, what, G, what's up? I'm going to go and get a drink now. I'm going to have a beer. And he goes, you come third. I was like, no, you dick, I came fourth. And he was like, no. <laughs> He's like, no, this is going to be disqualified. I was like, what? And I, and couldn't, I didn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. Um, and you were still on the bus at this point? I'm walking towards the bus. Okay. And I, and I grab him and, and I had to go down and speak to somebody. Then I hear there's an appeal going in and an appeal going out. So I'm just like, you know what? A lot of waiting I'm going to go back to the room. My phone's on. Just let me know what's what. So I'm, I remember sitting in the room with all the sprint lads. Um, and it was, yeah, it was about midnight. And then I did an interview for BBC and then came back up and sat with the lads again and my phone rang and they were like oh yeah he's, he's definitely going to be third um, I remember the room just went up like, it, <laughs> it just it erupted it madness yeah <laughs> so that, that, that was kind of cool what was that then, moment like to actually go through that because you know we don't really hear about you know those situations are very rare in terms of the infringement and then but then having that process of having to wait you know appeals yeah. you've only got a, sh- a You've only got a certain window of time to get the appeal in. Yeah, and then yeah. there's a lot of waiting around. So you think, okay, how am I going to react if I win the medal? How am I going to react if we lose the appeal? Yeah. I didn't I didn't believe it, if I'm honest. I, I, it, it just seemed a bit too far-fetched that it was going to happen, that he was going to come third and I was actually going to get a medal. I didn't believe it. Um, but also, I didn't run particularly well. My time wasn't very good. And that's that's what bugged me. So I almost felt like if I got the medal, I'm going to feel like a bit of a fraud going on the start line, on, 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 on the, the, the rostrum yeah. and, and taking a medal. And I remember reading some comments and people were like, oh, you should be embarrassed getting that medal and, and this. And you're thinking, well, you know, should I even go up? I don't know. Like, what? Sh- how should I be? Should I go up and, and, and be happy with getting the medal? Or, or um, But yeah, it was, it, was, it, was, it was a bit kind of a weird one to take, really. And then I didn't actually believe it until I was, the next day when I got summons to the room to go and get the medal, I still didn't believe it until I got the, the medal around my neck. Um, and I remember just stepping on the rostrum and I wasn't kind of like 
you know, how I was when I won the gold medal. It was more of a case of, you know, oh, th- thanks guys, you know, nice one, cheers. Like, kind of like a... <laughs> Imposter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you go through a lot of that, <laughs> just listening to you talk about yeah. your career. I don't know if it's like self, self-belief self or something, but I don't know. I, I don't, I don't, it's weird. I just kind of like feel that I, I wasn't as good as all these other guys. So did I deserve to be in that rostrum? Probably not. But, you know, the fact is I crossed the line in front of other people and that's what I need to kind of remember. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, no one wants to be given a medal. You want to earn the medal. Um, but, you know, I took it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and why wouldn't money. you? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's the good thing. I suppose I got my moment on, on, on the rostrum, I suppose. Whereas other people who get kind of done, who get upgraded yeah, a month later yeah. a year later mm-hmm. when you, and you lose out on the prize money and yeah. you lose out on the moment so at least that way I suppose I'm quite you know I'm fortunate but it would have been nice to win it out and it must have been nice to come home and share those moments with your family did obviously see mm. success you know your family within Barcelona as well but now you're coming back as a world medalist so what was that like yeah it was mad I mean because of the situation everybody kind of wanted to know what, what my thoughts were so your phone is just buzzing left right center and People want to ask you questions and invite you on this show and that show. And, you know, it's, it's it kind of changes your life, to be honest. And then, you, you know, financially, you, you, you're set for the next year or two because you're going to command pretty good appearance fees. So um, it, was a, it, it was a really good time, to be honest. I enjoyed it. But um, at the same time, I, I wanted to, I just wanted to run faster. I wanted to earn my, earn my spot uh, as spot, opposed yeah. to be given my spot, you mm-hmm. know. And that's what always it was always in the back of my mind. Yeah. yeah, I know you mentioned about <clears throat> the financial side. Um, I just want to touch on that slightly because for you in particular, there's not many athletes who we even we knew who we were competing on the team with who had <laughs> bare children. <laughs> 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 there was hardly anyone, Andy. I think you were like mm-hmm. the only one we were on the team who was on the team. Who did yeah. you know who had kids? Like two, three kids. When they were like, you know, halfway through the career or a couple middle. of the sprint lads, and that's about that's about it. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a couple yeah. of the sprinters, but you know, it it was definitely good for you because you know you speak a lot about having to chase that financial side and perform well because the money's not necessarily for you. You're not trying to go out here yeah. and get the money and buy this like flashy car or you know buy a house. You know, you're not feeling comfortable. You're not in a place of comfort for yourself. It goes beyond that. Mm-hmm. For you, it was always about finding that financial stability for your partner, for your children. Was that always your drive when, you know, you're going from one champs to the next champs to the next yeah. race and, you know, those, having those moments of having, yeah. you know, appearance being, you know, endorsements and that? I think leading up to that point, yeah, so the, kind of 2004 into 2009, kind of before medals, although you win bronze medals, you don't really get much money appearance fees and so on. So you can't live comfortably off that. So every kind of race you do, you think, right, I've just paid this bill, I've just paid that bill or something. So that's kind of how you live for a little bit. But as soon as you, as soon as I won the golds, that, that thought never came into my mind. It was always, you know, I'm, I'm comfortable now. I mean, for instance, I'll tell you straight, that's one of the reasons why I used to love Manchester Street Race. I remember one one competition, I made 20 grand and that's pounds. And you think, well, that's, that's not a bad little day's work. That's not. Um, and that's very rare. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that doesn't happen anymore. But no, for, definitely for, doesn't. For most of the races, you know, you, you command, you know, anything up to five grand per race for appearance fees. And, you know, I had Ricky Sims as my manager. So that's Usain Bolt's 
manager. So you were so the big leagues. You can all, yeah, you command a good money every every time you step on the start track. On the start, you knew you were getting paid, and that's before your prize money. So, you know, um, I didn't have to worry about right. Well, I've got to pay this bill with this one and with this race and that bill. It was um, for the next few years. You know, you come to, but I didn't want to be that guy who who's going to rock up to training with a brand new gold chain and the best new Gucci shoes and and this and that. So I just took it all away and saved it all up. Um, and you know, I ended up buying a house with my money and another flat with my money. Um, yeah, had a couple of nice cars, but <laughs> I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah I do a decent cars. Uh, <laughs> but you know, I wasn't. I wasn't all about kind of trying to be flashy with the money and stuff. In with myself, I'd always make sure that the families took care of first. That's the most important thing. Do you think there's a misconception? with maybe our sport or elite athletes in general where you are in in like a decent money or decent amount of money because t- let's be honest track and field compared to football <laughs> <laughs> no, no, close it's not even close <clears throat> but some some people could say like you know especially now because we are a lot more you know accessible with social media you know, you post a picture as an athlete of you, you know, buying this flashy car and then this person comments and says, oh, you should be training or you're not even that good. You know, like you said, you suffered from getting, yeah, you know, yeah. getting trolled on social media yourself. So do you think there's a misconception with that? Because although at times it was stressful for you to have, you know, to find stability for your family, you seem to manage it well compared to maybe others. Yeah, but I think I think the problem with athletes is they like to try and pretend they're balling when we know, as as athletes they're not so you see certain athletes and you know full well that they're probably living off their partner or living at home with the parents and that new Louis Vuitton belt they've just bought has been a is a present or that's you know they can't afford that they're living above their means and, and we know that as athletes um because you know up until up until I won a medal it's you're living on the on the bread line mm-hmm. you know you're struggling literally yeah so for the few good years that I had making money if you actually balance that out it's still not a particularly good year a particularly good wage over you know a decade of athletics um but yeah I think I think there is a lot of um misconceptions in athletics the, the, the big guys that earn big money that's that's how it is well they're few but, and far <clears> between they are few and far between yeah but and you know the people that kind of under those big guys you know it's it's not comfortable it's you're always living off i've got to i've got to do this race to make this money and the contracts they're getting it's it's not it's not like it used to be you know i was fortunate that my contracts always seem to run out the year after i just won a medal so i signed a nice come to a contract so <laughs> you're like have, pass me that pen now. <laughs> that pen couldn't come quick honestly, enough <laughs> it couldn't have been any better time they really really couldn't um but you know it, it doesn't always fall like that mm-hmm. um but i think catholics yeah they, they like to kind of pretend that they've they're making this money or that money when they're not and that kind of sheds a, i suppose a bad light on on what athletes. it's really about yeah yeah because it is a struggle it is, t- it is tough until you until you win a medal you know you you got to understand that you're probably going to be living at home not knowing if you're going to be able to buy this or buy that mm-hmm. um and rely on going to competitions and and trying to you know win some prize money mm. um, but it's, it's a tough it's a tough life until you start to, to do well medals, yeah. yeah to add to those special moments 
Um, I remember seeing you in the lead off to 2012. I mean, I saw you every day at Lee Valley and now I'm there or no or whatever. Oh, no, 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 it's good. It's not on fire. Don't be scared. Don't be scared. Um, I remember seeing your mug on the bus during the Got oh, Milk campaign. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, what's going on here? Yeah. What's going on? But it was good to see. It was, it, I was, I was happy for you anyway. Cause I remember see, obviously cause I knew you and I trained with you, yeah, yeah. but, um, it, it what was also great about the campaign is that it was in the lead up to 2012 and it all always wasn't the same faces we were seeing, mm-hmm. um, you know, faces. And I say that in, in air quotes uh, of the same people Um, someone like yourself, you know, you just come off a of world champs as, you know, a London 2012 athlete potential mm-hmm. at the time, a British athlete. And you're not seeing the same faces during, d- during these campaigns. So when I saw your mug, I was like, Go yeah, on, yeah. okay. Okay, what was that like? Yeah, no, it, it, do you know what? It's madness. I remember my kid taking a picture in front of it, like in front of a bus, just like, look, my dad's on a bus. <laughs> and, that, and that's that's what it's about, like, for me. You know what I mean? Like, the kid, the bus would drive past school and my kids would go, look, there's my dad on the side of a bus. And it's just, it's just madness. I love that kind of that, that kind of side of the athletics and, and being able to bring my kids something that other kids maybe haven't got. <clears throat> that's what it's about for me. But I did get a lot of ribbon for that because I did have... A big white milk tash on the side of a bus. <laughs> was that an actual milk tash? Or yeah, they, yeah, no, it was cream. So I had to dip, oh, my, dip okay. my face in cream. And then, um, oh. yes, try and smile, stinking of cream. <laughs> 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 but yeah, I mean, that's the thing. As soon as you, as I say, as soon as you win that, that kind of medal of the world, you start to get offered certain things like that. And I think it did help the fact that I was a white sprinter. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, there's not many white sprinters. Um, I think that kind of helped me out. Um, but there was a few other kind of gigs I got as well that I wouldn't have expected. There was some insurance company. Um, and again, they're like 10 grand gigs per time. And that all, that all adds up over time. And that's what kind of, you know, helped me to, to buy my house and become a grown-up, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> to be an adult. Yeah. <laughs> Still a... struggling with it now. <laughs> <laughs> with a wife and kids, yeah, having like... your own relay team. <laughs> I don't know, I've got to stop it. Um, so you did make the team for 2012, um, but unfortunately it was a rough season for you as you did get injured. Um, so what was that moment like to actually be at the games, but also not be in yeah. a healthy, healthy, healthy state? I had, um, I had a lot of pressure going on me into London because because two consecutive years winning medals, mm-hmm. people are kind of think, oh, well, it's on a roll. He's, we don't, they don't, I wasn't being talked about as a gold medalist because there was people out there who, was, who were, you know, way, way faster than me in that, in that school. But people said, you know, you should make the final, could squeeze a medal. Um, but it, it, it was just one of those years where I, I decided I was going to move to Florida. And it was, a, it was a tough decision to make, but I didn't move because of my coach. Lloyd Cowan was my coach and, and, you know, I wouldn't have ever changed him for the world. I needed to train with people that were better than me. And David Oliver was one of the best in the world. And he was, you know, he was a much quicker athlete than me. Um, so we went to Florida and, and trained at Disneyland for three months, which is... It's kind of cool, right? Really. <laughs> but there's only so much Mickey Mouse you can take before you want to kill it. <laughs> but, um, you know, it, it, it probably didn't work in my favour because David, I'm quicker than David on the sprints. So we, they worked on David's strengths, which is his hurdling. So my hurdling technique got better, but my sprint wasn't as quick as it should have been. So that's why I went into the season and, and struggled and I had Achilles problems throughout the year and stuff. And I was trying to manage that throughout the year. So ultimately, you know, I went to the the Olympics and, and just didn't, I didn't do as well as I should have done simple as that um, but just being there you know it was amazing you know living in London and that 
the, 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 the feeling, the vibe around the city, the country. Yeah. And the moment you're on the start line and, you know, you're looking down the, the track and the camera looks at you and it's lane five and then say your name and then 80,000 people cheer for you. I, I've never had butterflies like that. Absolutely shitting myself. But it was, um, it was, it was such a good moment, like really, really good moment. But, uh, you know, it was just unfortunate that it didn't, it didn't go my way, but I think I'd ridden my luck. don't say that (laughs) but what i remember also about you competing in those games is um there's a photo that i saw um once you'd finished the race and it was you and um lijang yeah um you know he didn't have a great championship as well also carrying an injury Mm. um and i People, I think people forget, like, that's sometimes that's what it's all about. Like, you put your ego aside and, you know, you help your competitors, yeah. you know, and people forget, like, it's not just about, like, going out there and getting a medal. We're all yeah, in this yeah. together, ultimately. And I think the Olympic, the Olympic story and everything about the Olympics is just about, you know, being together, I guess, and yeah. helping other people. So what was that like in that moment? You know, because you were also carrying your own, you know, stress mm. and dramas of not being healthy, but also being in that era... Of with Lujang, Rob Lez, you know, David yeah, Oliver, yeah, yeah. you know, these all these big guys and actually seeing that. You know, when you share the rostrum with someone, you kind of, you've got that kind of emotional, I suppose, bond with somebody. Mm-hmm. You know how it is. And obviously I shared the rostrum with Lujang the year before. So we, we we knew each other, had a bit had a lot of respect for each other, I suppose. And then, you know, he's in my in my race on, on the start line and then I crossed the line first and I'm not expecting that because I was expecting obviously him to come past me. Um, and across the line, like, what's, what's going on? Where is he? And then obviously I see him limping and, and jumping down the track. So, you know, you, it's, it's, you forget about kind of athletics, and you see somebody who potentially just popped his Achilles tendon. You're gonna, you know, help him, and that's that's you know what we did. We just went over there and gave him a lift, and he's surprisingly he's heavy. He's a big lad. You know? <laughs> so that's, that's, that's the first thing You're I like, oh, think about. Gosh. Yeah, because you can't, you don't quite actually understand how big he is. But you look at the picture, and I'm not exactly small, but he, he's 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 massive. Yeah, and he is. Put all his weight on me, and I had to like pretend he wasn't heavy, and uh, yeah, put a good poker face on that day. But it's unfortunate for him because it, it was he had so much pressure from the previous Olympics in Beijing. Everyone expected him or wanted him to to kind of make amends in London, and it, it just didn't happen for him. And you know that was potentially going to be his last chance. Mm-hmm. And he, he was a great of the sport and somebody I'd looked up to for years. And it's funny, it was a bit of an honour to, to, to carry him off the track. And, you know, all the Chinese media afterwards would clambering to try and ask me questions about it and stuff. And it just shows you know, how much, how loved he was in his country. And it just, yeah, you know, you, you just got to be a human and forget that. I was just about to say, like, you showed your human side because yeah. you put everything, you know, you aside and park that yeah. and then just like actually help someone because you wouldn't want that to happen to anyone no i i've had achilles problems for years i know how, how painful they are and i know that he had achilles problems and i could see that that's probably the problem that he, he he'd had days his achilles was probably popped so you know you, you just got to be a be a person and you know it just happened to be in front of eighty thousand people and cameras and stuff but you know regardless of him being my rival he's he's still a person he's, he's struggling and if I can lend a hand, I will do. Yeah. So 2013 was, I think, a rough year for you. I think it's fair to say. Pretty rough, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think um, starting off with the injury, um, carrying the injury and then having surgery, mm. um, then not being able to compete, and then unfortunately losing your mother 
later on, a yeah. few months later. And then to top it all off, you then get burgled yeah. during your mother's funeral. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Your head must have been all over the place that particular year. Well, those those three moments in general, I mean, the hardest one was obviously losing your mom. So yeah. what was, what I was, was um, like? I was contemplating retiring anyway. That was already in my mind that I was going to call it a day at some point, at uh, some point soon. Um, and yeah, you know, it had been a pretty rough season. I'd had bilateral Achilles surgery and I was thinking, that, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to get back to, to my best. So should I just kind of retire with my name intact, I suppose, and, and not be somebody that should have retired, you know, a couple of years ago, whatever. I didn't want to get beat, beaten by everybody. I wanted to have some dignity, I suppose. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I wanted to keep going for a little bit. But then, obviously, my mum, I just got a phone call from my dad saying, oh, your mum's had a stroke, so you need to come home. And I was on my, I was on my way to Lee Valley at the time. And then I, I got to see my mum. We went to hospital. And then she wasn't, no, she, she'd obviously had a stroke. The left side wasn't working. Um, but I spoke to her. And then I kind of brought all my stuff up to live in like my dad's house in Nottingham. Uh, everything we bought, everything, all my kind of essentials, I suppose. And... Uh, I was up in Nottingham for, you know, probably two, three weeks. And I, I kind of I slept next to my mum's bed. I'm one of them people, if, if you're ill, I've got to check, check make sure you're all right all uh-huh. the time. So I just didn't leave aside. And then the one time I did leave aside, I had to go home and, and get changed or get showered or something. Um, she had a, a second stroke and that's sent her to uh, intensive care. Uh-huh. So we had to, she had to, they were contemplating doing a, 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 a what's it called, with a, Take, take a piece of a skull off to release some pressure from her head. Um, and they tried a bunch of other stuff, and, but they scanned her and said that 90% of her brain wasn't, that had died. So, mm-hmm. you know, if she did ever wake up, she's not going to be the same. The same. And she's not going to be able to breathe, she's not going to be able to talk, she's not going to be able to eat. And my mum wouldn't want to be like that. So, as a family, as a collective, we had to decide should we turn the life support machine off and let her body decide, which, which is what we did. So, um, you know, we turned the last spot off about one o'clock in the afternoon, and then about I remember it was about six o'clock in the evening. She uh, she took her last breath, and we're kind of all there. It's pretty tough, you know, watching your mum pass away. Um, in the, you know, I I'd, I'd had a kind of a couple of weeks afterwards where I did struggle, and then yeah, we went to the, we had the we had the funeral, and I'd put on my mum was part of the it's called the ATC, which is the part-time RAF so it's like the TA version of the RAF and she was like a squadron commander so she was quite big in this game she she um she looked after a lot of people so um yeah we had the the the, the, uh, the funeral and I I wanted everyone to know that if they want to come this is where it's going to be so I put on Twitter this this is where the, the wedding the funeral is and um went to the funeral went to the kind of after do and then I remember driving past from the funeral, actually, to the afterdo, driving past my dad's house, and I had a big white Range Rover Sport. He couldn't really miss it. It, was, it stuck out like a mile. And uh, it wasn't there. And I, was, I just thought my dad had moved it around to the back or something, back at the house, because there's, there's a car park there. And um, we're just sitting there having a couple of drinks. And then someone's like, oh, where's your car gone? And then realised that it had been burgled. And, um, yeah, it, it was pretty mad, to be honest. Um, they'd gone in, they'd cleaned out where I was staying, my old room. They cleaned out all my stuff. And they seem to kind of leave loads of other stuff, which is weird. So and they got the car and the house. They got inside both. Yeah, got into it? the house, emptied wow. out my room, put it into the, into my car because uh-huh. they pinched the keys, and then um, 
talk talk that as well. Uh, and the police said it was it was it was people that had seen on Twitter that we weren't going to be there, but it's not because it was they know who it was. It was just some some little fucking kids, some little crackhead kids from an estate about three miles away, who just you know were there at the right time. Um, but the next day it was it was it was it was tough because obviously it was all it was all over like news. It was on world news. It was on local news. And I was on Skype and I was in the newspapers and it was all day just doing interviews. And it was like, fuck, I just need to, I need this to stop right yeah. now. I can't deal with all this. Um, so it was a really difficult time. But at the same time, I had my, and my phone that I'd, um, I had all my pictures, my last pictures of my mom. When I was in the hospital with her, I had my last pictures and that's all I wanted. I didn't care about anything else. Yeah. Take the car. I just want my phone back. So I had to keep on with these kind of interviews, try and get it back. Um, and it wasn't until like a couple of days later, I remember watching the news and then them seeing my car on the news and then they found my car and they emptied it out or whatever. But they hadn't even told me. They haven't even said they found my car. I had to find out on the news watching on TV. You found out on the news? Yeah. Like your car had been recovered? Yeah, it's madness. So I ended up getting the car back and then um, so I just got rid of it. Um, but yeah, I didn't. my mum, she wouldn't have wanted me to be... She wouldn't have wanted that to determine the end of my career. She wouldn't have wanted her to be one of the reasons... And she wouldn't want one of my Achilles to be one of the reasons. So I thought, you know what, I've got to get back on the start line. I have to. Um, and I did. You know, we got to went to we had my first race back was an indoor race in Birmingham. And car, I remember like I remember being on the start line, and obviously it had been on in the news, so everyone knew this was my first race back. And they introduced me, and I got a massive cheer. Uh, and I, my eyes just started welling up, and I'm like, fuck, I'm about to run in a minute. I can't do this. Um, and I didn't run very well. Well, I, I ran like seven seven, which is that average. Um, but I got back on the start line, and that's ultimately what I, what I wanted to do for that year. And then I went to the Commonwealth, went to the Europeans, and then that was yeah, decided that was going to be a, a wrap. I remember you were captain in the Commonwealth. Yeah, when I fell over as well. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to mention that. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what it was? Addy? It was like. I'd put so much pressure on myself because I was actually in really good shape. I'd got myself into really good nick and I knew that I could potentially retain my title. And um, I wanted to do so, I wanted to do well for my mum and everybody else who kind of backed me for these last few months because it'd been a tough time. I just really wanted to do well and I tried so hard. And because I tried so hard, I made mistakes. I forced mistakes onto onto the race. Um, you know what it is, if you just kind of relax and take it, in your stride, mm-hmm. it, it happens. But when you force it, you make mistakes. And, and that's certainly what I did. No, I smashed the first hurdle, smashed the second hurdle, and then just sat in the middle of the track with my head in my hands and got like a, a 60,000 people sympathy cheer and clap, which he just wanted the track to open up and swallow you. Yeah, just, I had to walk all the way down the track to get my kit. And I was just like, oh, I don't want to be here right now. So that was difficult. But, um, you know, it was nice to make the Europeans afterwards and, uh, and, and know that was my last chance. It was nice, that was. Did you know at that point, like, you were done? Yeah. I didn't want to run anymore. I'd had enough. Because, you know, you're travelling around all the time. You're living out of a suitcase. Your your financial side of things isn't always going to be a certainty. Um, I just wanted some normality in my life. I, I, I knew I wasn't going to be... I knew I wasn't going to win medals. I knew I wasn't going to make finals anymore. I wasn't going to get better and I wanted to go out with my name intact. I was, I was desperate to go out on my, my choice and not be the guy that everyone said, you know what, he should have retired last year or the year before. 
Um, and it was the right time for me. My last race was the Man- uh, Newcastle Street Race. Of course, you're going to finish on the street race. Of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Paid well. Paid well. <laughs> I wasn't even going to say that. That was going to be my next one. I was going to say the street race because, you know, everyone loves the street race in Newcastle. You know, Geordies are just mad anyway. A bit like Scousers. And um, yeah, Newcastle's always a fun race. And then I was going to say, then the financial (laughs) side helped. Well, yeah, I mean, look, this this time around, I would have quite happily ran for free. Okay. Um, Just because you, because of the way? Yeah, I would have paid for a lane in in that race. I just wanted to run on my home home term home to yeah in front of my home crowd and it just worked perfectly because it was really nice because before the before the race 10 minutes before the race they did a live interview on tv with me and they did a montage and it like i thought I'll, you started I'll crying in it i knew it I again i really struggled and and just, i thought i've got a race in a minute i've got darren robles next to me i've got oh, aries merritt and will Sharman. so you've got three pretty decent guys there you've got two world record holders and then you know another guy is really good so it's not like a bit of a shambles race, a good mm-hmm. race. And um, yeah, I just I just wanted to go out in front of my own kind of people. And, and I did. And that's what, that's what I did. This is across the line. Everyone kind of chucked a bottle of champagne over me. And, I remember. Yeah, yeah. You probably, <laughs> probably out. Um, but it was it was just kind of the perfect race to retire on, I suppose. Uh, in front of a home crowd. You know, it was on TV. My dad was in the crowd. Um, so it, yeah, it was a good way to go out. Those 12, 18 months from, you know, having that massive loss and then coming back 2014 season, finishing the way you did, it must have been extremely tough, stressful at times. You just probably felt like, I don't want to do this anymore. Mm. So what was it specifically that, you know, grabbed you out of it? I didn't, I know mentally, I didn't want to go out without it being my choice. If it was an injury, I know that I would have kind of probably struggled with that. Um, I had to go out on my own terms and my mum if I'd have retired when she died then she would have haunted me forever she would have haunted me and said like that's just not what we are you we doing don't, yeah, we don't, get out there yeah we don't do that like this around here so I, ha- I had to I had to keep going um, and you know Lloyd he put he put a decade into me he put a decade into me and I couldn't just go you know what nah done I had to keep going for him, for, for him as well um, and my dad and all the people that I trained with and all the people that had kind of helped me, um, I wanted to just give them one last time for them to kind of come to terms with the ending as opposed to just literally done, finished, end of. I wanted them to be there and then be part of it. Um, and just, yeah, be there from that start process to that final chapter process. And uh, it just, it sits well with me. I don't I don't miss athletics. Like I've, I've done everything I needed to do. I've done everything I could. I've done things I'd never thought I would do in a million years. Um, so it was just it was just the right time for me. Yeah. And just listening to you talk about that, like you said, like you believe you went out at the right time. Do you believe at any point you maybe had moments of unfulfillment during your career? You know, starting it the way it did. You know, it wasn't a normal path that we see um, in athletes in the sport, but your you know, successful years, 2010, um, 2011, you know, those are the key years for you. And that was the latter, latter years towards your yeah, career. So yeah. it's not like you're 23 to 25 and then having to go through the next couple of years of injury and then possibly get another breakthrough, but yours happened the way it did. So do you ever look back and think, oh, 
yeah, it was what it was, or do you just think, yeah? yeah? I think, you know, I think everything happens for a reason. I genuinely do. Um, I think I was always going to be a late bloomer. Um, maybe if things happened sooner, I wouldn't have been where I got to at the end. I don't know. Um, I just think it, it was it was kind of right for me. Um, so it's really difficult to kind of just describe. Um, I'm just I'm just a firm believer that everything happens for a reason. And 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 had these two particular things happened earlier in in my career, then I wouldn't have been successful or something wouldn't have happened the way it did. Um, so you know the the, the early career side of things was it was annoying, it was frustrating. Well, I don't regret it. I don't wish it had been any different. Um, you know, everything happened when my kids were old enough to realise who I was and what I was doing. And that is the most important thing, that they got to see me on TV. They got to watch me at the Olympics. Um, they got to do stuff that other kids in their school will never get to do. And Like see your face on um, the bus. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But they've done interviews. They've been on TV and they've done an interview. And how many kids can say they've done an interview, gone on BBC Live before a race and stuff like that and been invited to premieres and, and this and that and the other and just stuff that other people, other kids can't do. And, and that's, that wouldn't have happened earlier in my life, in, in my career. So it just, it just progressed right, I think. You think? <laughs> yeah. No changes? Been. Anything that you, th- do you wish, oh, I wish I hadn't done that, you know? Um, I wish this hadn't happened. It doesn't have to be anything. Could do you know one. Um, you know, maybe maybe I, I wouldn't have gone moved coaches and changed coaches and gone to Florida for three months. But then on the flip side of it, the life experience that my kids got from being in Florida for three months, is it worth it? I mean, yeah, it is worth it. But career wise, it wasn't right for me. So mm-hmm. in that side of things, I regret it. But I would have done it. I would I wouldn't have changed it. I would still do it again because again, my kids got to got the stories of living at Disneyland and and you know, yes, they got homeschooled, so they they had to do got you know, the educational side mm-hmm. of things, but how many other kids can say they've been, they've lived there for three months? Not many. And no. live, go Disneyland as well. Yeah. They've been at all, yeah, yeah. <laughs> got free tickets. But got free tickets. Free tickets? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. You got hooked up. These kids have been spoiled. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to have them working from the age of 10, no I know, doubt. I know, I know. at work. <laughs> <laughs> so now you've retired from the sport. I remember seeing you in the boxing ring fighting our fellow teammate, <laughs> Dwayne yeah. Chambers. Yeah. So what was that all about? And it was a charity boxing match. So it wasn't like you, man, were like fighting in the streets. You're actually yeah. fighting in the ring. Uh, I mean, I, I'd started, basically, like, when I retired, I, I started doing this kind of fitness modeling, which is like a, like a bodybuilding type thing on a smaller scale. So I started to do that and I needed a reason to train. I couldn't just go to the gym and train for vanity purposes. I needed a reason to, to do it. So I, I entered these competitions. So... I did a few of those, got in like crazy shape, but then I just got bored of all like being so regimented. So I took up boxing and I loved boxing. I'd never even contemplated stepping in the ring in my life. And then I did a white collar fight. I did a, a fight out of, um, I got like 10 days notice to jump in the ring and have a fight and I lost it. Um, no, that's not, not really surprisingly. Um, and I did another fight and I won that one. And then I got um, a message asking, do you want to be on this kind of celebrity boxing event? Um, we were wanting to fight Dwayne. I was like, oh, Dwayne's like, Dwayne's huge. He's like, he's one of my heroes. You know what I mean? Watching Dwayne run. Scary looking geezer as well. And um, so I had to phone Dwayne and said, look, do you, what, do you fancy doing it? And he was like, oh, I don't know. And he eventually he agreed. And 
Yeah, we um, he got trained by coach over his side. I got trained by coach my side, and then we stepped in the ring, and then we had three good rounds. And it was um, it was it was surreal more than anything. I mean, why was that? Because I'm just looking at looking at Dwayne's face, thinking that's that's Dwayne Chambers. That is. Like, I used to watch Dwayne on TV. He was mm-hmm. top dog. You know what I mean? Running the hundred, especially when you go to these little. It was gold. I remember golden leagues. Of I was course, like golden back in league. The day. Yeah. And I was, it was my first ever one and Dwayne was like, it was in Gateshead, he was one of the top guys and he dyed his hair blonde and he just looked so mean and scary. <laughs> and I remember that image of him. I was just, I was sitting down and Dwayne was walking past and he was massive. And I said, oh, good luck. And he went, oh, cheers, mate. <laughs> and like, that stuck with me because, you know, he was top dog and yeah. I wasn't and I was only small. And um, then seeing him in the, in, in the ring, I had to get punched in the face. Full Yeah, it is just bonkers. But, yeah, fortunately I took the W. Um, Fortunately, yeah. Why are you downplaying it? Well, well, I took the W. Okay, <laughs> yeah. say it with your chest. Yeah, I had him. I had him. I had him. No, you look, were like hitting him and saying, "Sorry, I'm really sorry." Every punch, <laughs> no, no, every to be, jab. To be fair, I mean, he caught. I remember he, he he did catch me with a sweet right on the nose, and I had a good bruise on my nose for for, for a few weeks. But Dwayne, he said that he actually I broke. Dwayne had a motorcycle crash years ago, and he broke a bone in his face, and. He, he told me that, that that bone had been rebroken um, in the fight. In the fight, oh. yeah. So he said, as soon as he stepped in the ring, and I hit him a couple of times, he said he knew he couldn't outbox me. But so he just kept moving. He kept moving all the time, and, and it was quite hard to hit. And you know, when I did hit him, I knew I'd shook him. But Dwayne's he's, he's he just doesn't like contact. That's that's the thing. But you know, no one likes getting yeah, punched in the face. He did rugby. Well, that's the thing. Yeah, but you know, <laughs> he, again, he was. I think Dwayne will admit that. Again, it was the contact side of things that he didn't like. The running side of it, he battered everybody. But when it came to running into somebody, you know, it just wasn't his thing. And, and he said again, you know, he, I said to him, do you want to do a rematch in the boxing? And he's like, not a chance. Not a chance. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, it was it was just, it's, it's good to do something for charity. Um, you know, made a few quid for them guys. And, uh, you know, we're both alive to tell the story. So, As you both are, you're here today, yeah, you know. Just a little, little uh, bucket list thing. Topped the, off. There you, you go. Know. Outside of the sport, outside of athletics as well. Yeah, it's yeah. different. Well, I mean, it's a bucket list. I've done it. I've had five fights now. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I think I'm done now. I think I'm. I think I'm. I think I'm finished with fighting. But I, I still spar a couple times a week. I love it. Okay. Yeah. Nice. And you also mentioned about the bodybuilding as well. So I know um, your brother Gaddy. Um, he was a massive inspiration of yours, doing fitness yeah. modeling and all the bodybuilding stuff. So how was that? And how, how did it all come about? Like, cause yeah. I know the training is different. Obviously what we did in track, the nutrition, all yeah. of that. It's bizarre because me and my brother, we haven't got a particularly close relationship. Like I don't really talk to him much to be honest. And I haven't spoke to him now for probably about four or five months. He lives in Australia. Um, but he was, the, he took up hurdles. So I kind of just did what he did. And then it was around the time my mum died. My brother was about to do a competition like a first fitness modeling competition and i remember seeing the pictures of him doing it and I remember years ago looking in the magazines of these bodybuilders and just looking like that looks ridiculous like how the hell do you do that that's just madness never thought again in a million years that i could actually get into shape to do that then when i saw my brother do it it kind of made me think well hang on maybe maybe i can do this so um yeah i retired from athletics and then i needed a reason to keep going i needed i couldn't just go to the gym and train i needed to fill a void yeah yeah and and it was it was annoying me because I'd retired. I just I wanted to be retired and not have that mindset of a need to keep going, going, going. But I entered this competition and I was sponsored by a supplement company and they kind of 
they they it was all over their social media and they took me and and kind of trained me and did my nutrition and everything um and tried to get me to win this particular competition and, and we did we won this competition and then i quite like the feeling of again being back out there on on a stage which is just having like the moment the track, having yeah. that time again mm-hmm. um so I, I did a couple more competitions and thing is with that you know you look really good but you feel like shit you feel horrible and you know your moods are horrible you're up and down and I'm just I just just wasn't a very nice person I was I was just a bit irritable with my kids and you know you're tired and you're hungry all the time and I just thought I can't I can't be doing with that anymore so that's why I, I called that a day and I took up boxing and it's weird it's not it's it's only now it's probably this year that it's the first time I've I don't need a focus now for my training. I can go in the gym just to keep fit. Mm-hmm. I don't now need that reason or finish line, which is why I'm not. I don't want to get back in the ring to fight again or uh, get back on stage for the bodybuilding. I was going to say because who goes from one physically demanding sport yeah. to another? It's I, I guess in track and field, it's a bit like going from athletics to maybe bobsleigh to fill that void. Yeah, yeah. But for you in particular, you were like, yeah, I just want to get half naked on a, like, <laughs> just, on a yeah. stage, yeah, all yeah. greased up with fake tan <laughs> in the air. What, what do you wear? Budgie smugglers? Budgie smugglers, there you that's go. it. Yeah, yeah. How, how was that with like, how did your family cope? Because, you know, you spent all them years yeah. being in the sport and obviously, you know, your wife and your kids are yeah. like, dad, we want you to come home. And now you've retired and now you're going from one physically demanding sport to another. So what was that like? I'm sure she must have been irritated. What were yeah. you gaining from it? The, well, the missus hated it. She absolutely hated it. Um, but she hated it because, because of the mood swings, because you're up and down all the time because you're getting hungry and then you're eating too many calories. It's, it's crazy how, how you manipulate your body. So she hated it. The kids loved it because <laughs> dad was solid. He looked ripped. <laughs> and he looked well hard. And like, if anyone got on their nerves, they're like, oh, my dad will, you know, he showed them, they showed them my Insta. And they were like, my dad will kill you. Yeah, literally. So yeah, in that respect, it worked well. But um, yeah, the, the family loved it. I mean, my brother, he, he loves it. He was kind of my biggest fan. But it was just, it was, it just got in the way of life. Literally just life. And you know, it's like when, as an athlete, you're so selfish, you have to give 100% to get where you want to get to. Yep. And even then when I retired from athletics, I gave that 100%. I'm not getting paid for it. It's not my life. It's not my job. It's just a hobby. But I had that mindset where I've got to give it 100%. And then the same for boxing for the first few fights. And it's tiring, Annika. It's tiring. I, I, I was just fatigued, I suppose, <laughs> of just competing. And now it's nice that I don't need that now. I'm, 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 I'm at a good stage where I'm just cool and I can just go and just make my own gains in the gym and I haven't got to get back on stage. Budgie smugglers are locked away. There's no more grease going on my skin. (laughs) 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 Oh gosh. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So that's it. I'm not, I'm not gonna competition days of that. Maybe I can, Pete in golf or something like that. Something easy, right? Something easy. Well, I mean, then we'll get back problems, you know. Oh, sugar. All right. All right. Dominoes then. <laughs> I was going to say snooker or darts. Play, no, I'm Ball, sorry, oh, darts. no, not balls. Nah. Just, nah, I don't know. Just. Or you could just, just sit gonna go gym now. Yeah, I'm just, just, just going to go to the gym for myself. Okay. And that's it. There's a gym right next door. So I go there uh, and, and that's it now. Yeah. Yeah. Keep the missus happy. Uh, I suppose when you got, you know, when you, when you work now, it's just, You've actually got other priorities in life and I don't have time to do all the things that I'd, I'd like to do, I suppose. Yeah. 
priorities, you know, married with four kids, a newborn, you're yeah. a businessman now. So what does life look like now, like compared to, you know, being an elite sportsman? Well, it's a lot more settled. Obviously, I am employed. I, I, I run a boutique fitness studio in Stockport, where we are now. You can shout it out, it's okay. It's called The Hive. Come on. Yeah, Life Pleasure. <laughs> Stockport Sports Village, check it out, peeps. Um, but yeah, you know, I run that. Um, uh, yeah, I have got four kids, two dogs. Life is just settled now. Um, I still watch a bit of athletics. Um, I'm a fan of it, but I'm a fan of watching the actual races and not not, not the rest of it. I like, I, like um, I find it slightly boring at times, but... Um, What's boring about it? What 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 are the boring you know elements or moments that you find in the sport or that you found even competing in the sport? Because um, you know this might be useful. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it, it's. I think there's so much insight into athletics from ex-athletes. Um, I think, I think that could be freshened up. You know, new newer faces, younger faces coming in. Hello. Um, there we go. <laughs> Annika, took her in. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? Just, just different insights. It's the same people week in, week out when you watch the Diamond Leagues. And you just, you just want something new, something different, a bit of fresh. Um, but the events themselves, you know, I, I, I don't like certain events. I never have done. So I like to just fast forward them and watch what I want to watch. And that's what I do. You definitely sound like you're in a happier place. You know, I never I never thought I'd imagine this from you, honestly. <laughs> not that I imagine... You know what I imagine from you, if what? I'm honest? Oh, no, 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 it's not a bad <laughs> I imagine you to just be, um, once you retire from the sport, to be living in London in one of those penthouses in Canary Wharf and in basically living that bachelor lifestyle, working in the city. Wow. That's what I imagine from you, um, kind of knowing the person yeah. you are. But... Knowing deep down, that ain't you. No. <laughs> you probably would have messed it up at some no. point. Oh, yeah. And gone, nah, 100%. this ain't me, this 100%. ain't me. So you, you definitely seem in a much, much happier place. Do you know what um, I family's, family's everything to me. My mm-hmm. kids are my life. Um, that's 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 what makes me happy now. Like, you know, if they, if they come home and they've got a certificate from school or something, that's the young ones, not the old ones. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? Just It's just living your life through your kids now. And, and I've done my bit. You know, if they can be proud of me, brilliant. If I can bring anything to their life that, you know, if my my athletics can bring anything to their life, brilliant. Um, but I'm just happy. I'm just in a good place. I said, I've moved to Manchester. Um, I've got all my family with me or around me. Um, my dad's happy, which is important. He's actually getting married next weekend. So, oh, you know, he's, yeah, he's, 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 he's found a good girl. So um, everyone in kind of my, in my, in my world is happy. So... That's cool for me. I'm 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 in a good place myself. And that's all that matters, right? That is all that matters, yeah. Yeah. So to conclude, Andy Turner being on Hidden Greatness Podcast, what would you tell your younger self? <laughs> oh, yeah. Keep it clean, please. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I already knew <laughs> what was gonna happen when your mind was going, actually no, you don't have to keep it clean if you don't want to. Uh, do you know what? Is it that I- <laughs> So many things spring to mind. It's okay. <laughs> the first thing that springs to mind, it can be one thing, a whole bunch of things. It can be anything you want. I just remember a time in Portugal where we were training. That was just the best time. <laughs> That's I'm just going to keep that there. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs>
couple of stories there. Couple of stories yeah. there. Couple yeah. of stories. No, no regrets. Um, what would I tell my younger self? Um, I suppose you know what. I, I, it's not a self confidence thing. I suppose it's just appreciate what you've done more. Maybe you know because what what we did, people don't do. But you, you take it for granted when you're in that circle. It's just normal life. Going to Olympics, doing this, doing that. It was normal. Um, to actually appreciate what you've done, take a minute and just, you know, understand that that you've done something pretty good there. So, um, you know, don't kind of knock it. That's probably what I'd say to myself. Yeah, but you shouldn't knock it. I don't take my own advice. So. <laughs> <laughs> just, you never did, Andy, so it's nah, okay. that's it. Never did, never did, never really. Uh, honestly, listen to your story and obviously knowing you personally, knowing how crazy you, you've been um, over the years. <laughs> but... Um, Listen, just listen to your journey personally um, and just just being so open on today's episode. Thank you so much. You've Spend definitely it. come a long way since the first <laughs> yeah. time I met you with braids. Ah, uh, you remember and, that? I do remember <laughs> them braids were... Yeah. yeah. You missed the China bumps just before that. You had China bumps? Yeah, yeah. Did yeah. you? Yeah. Then I had braids Did after. Yeah, about it all me. Oh wow! Okay, mm. all right, Mr. Yeah. Trendsetter, back uh, in the yeah. early two thousands. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd have been too long, and when I took them out, I had like patches of hair loss. Did so, you? Yeah, yeah. Oh gosh, Andy. <laughs> Andy Turner, it's been wonderful to have you on today's episode. Thank you so much for Thanks. speaking on Hidden Greatness. Thank you for having me. Andy. Cheers. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, and like. Tell a friend to tell a friend about Hidden Greatness, which is available on all streaming platforms. Catch you on the next episode. Bye.